Good morning, everybody. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, pray with me as we get started. Father God in heaven, thank you uh, for this time we gather together as your people, with your people, God, around the good news of the personal work of Jesus. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir up our hearts and minds this morning. Uh, God, that you would transform us individually, transform our marriages, our families, our friendships, our relationships. Uh, God, that you would transform this church community. Uh, God, indeed, that you would use us as an instrument of your grace to the culture and city in which we live. Uh, God, we pray in all things that you receive the glory and we receive great joy and that the good news of Jesus may advance. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Friends in Christ, you are a new person. You have a new life. You are freed from your old life. In Christ, together, we have a new way of living, and this is good news. Have you ever been criticized or insulted or judged for the way you live life? I mean, maybe it's something as small as not being picked for the kickball team. That was me right back here. <laughs> maybe it is something, uh, maybe your, your fashion, your style, maybe the type of music you listen to or the way you carry yourself. It could be something even more, uh, uh, something greater, even have you been criticized maybe for the way you choose to raise your children or school your children? Maybe it, have you been criticized or judged for your athletic ability or as a student? your performance 
the way you uh, do your job at work. There's a lot of musicians and artists here, maybe uh, your music or art ability. See, we live in a world that values uh, external appearance, external performance. And so often we get caught up in that, that we uh, try to do better and try harder and and self-improve our performance, polish up the external facade, while all the while uh, neglecting the true issue of the human heart. We often do better and try harder trying to win the approval of others, or we will just walk away from relationships altogether because they are painful and challenging. You see, there's good news, and then there's bad news, and then there's good news. If you've ever felt judged or hurt or criticized, the good news is that those who judge you or criticize or hurt you are probably wrong. The bad news is you are far worse than they realize. But the good news is that in Christ, uh, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, we are accepted, we are loved, we are changed. See, in actuality, we are far worse off than we care to admit. But in Christ, he is far better than we believe in those moments. So when Jesus saves us, it is an eternal identity he secures for us that results in a new way of living here and now. It's not only a change of action and behavior, but a change of identity, a change of character. We are totally dependent on him, and we work out the salvation in relationships with each other. Now, in Ephesians 4, over the past couple weeks where we've been, we see that the Apostle Paul writes to a young Christian church in Ephesus, a city that has a thriving multicultural uh, demographic. There, it was a port city, uh, lots of commerce, lots of travel, lots of you know, education. There was a school of magic there. There was a thriving religious culture, pagan religious culture. And so the Apostle Paul writes to this young church who's trying to figure out what is it we are to do as Christians. How is our life to look now that we belong to Jesus? And the beginning of Ephesians 4, he charges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. A few weeks ago, we looked at this understanding that calling is something of designation and direction. Calling is, is the Lord designates you. He names you as his child. And then he calls you motivationally to live life differently in light of that new identity. He goes on in Ephesians 4 to talk about how this personal identity and character change is, is lived out in the context of community, where we were last week looking at the unity of the body, how God draws together different people with different giftings, different roles, different styles. And, and together they live life in such a way that reflects the identity of the God that saved them, that, that, that resonates grace to the community in which they live and Paul says that, that as Christians together we are to strive uh, as we grow more like Christ to mature manhood as we build up one another through the various roles and giftings that we have. Different, very different, but working together to grow to mature 
manhood. The Apostle Paul writes here in the passage we're looking at today, as we see a personal character of of humility and patience and bearing with one another in love and gentleness, being lived out in the context of community, working together, uh, diversity for unity, growing to mature manhood. He writes here in the passage today that life apart from Christ is tragic. Life apart from Christ leads to death, destruction, and division. But life in Christ leads us to maturity, being steadfast in the faith, relying on the person and work of Jesus to transform us in community together. So over the next couple of minutes, I want us to look at what Paul says here, the old life apart from Christ and a new life in Christ. Because this is a message that all of us need to hear no matter where you are in your journey of faith. Because if you were apart from Christ, if you were not a Christian and you've never walked with Jesus ever, I want to lay out for you what God says life is like. If you are a Christian, like the folks at Ephesus were, this is a charge to remind us to have ongoing reliance on Christ and in relationship with each other, lest we fall back to our old way of living. Because none of us in our own strength are free from what Paul describes here. So look at the old life. The first thing he says here, verses 17 through 19, the old life. He says, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Friends, the old life apart from Christ is characterized by progressive destruction. If you've never been saved by Christ, your life is on a trajectory for destruction, one small failure at a time, ultimately leading to death. If you are a Christian and God has saved you, this is not the life we are to return to, but our fickle hearts draw us back there. You see, Paul says here, this is an old identity that is characterized in verse 18 as being alienated from the life of God separated from God. Now, I love how he says it here. He says this is an identity, not just action. Paul just doesn't start off by saying, hey, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that, don't do that. He doesn't list out actions and behaviors, but he goes straight to the core of identity and character. He describes life being alienated from God as an identity. He says here, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is characterizing a whole group of people. Gentiles in that day were those who were not uh, God's people. Uh, Characterized as being uh, pagans. It could be a broad term characterizing anybody that was not uh, walking with the Lord. He says here that this is how they once were an old identity. Now, this can be an identity that you find uh, anything that's apart from God. 
If you find your identity in your job apart from Christ, if you find your identity in your sexuality apart from Christ, if you find your identity in your hobbies or your style or the community in which you live apart from Christ, this is uh, progressive destruction. And Paul says here that they are hard-hearted, dark-minded, reckless livers. Not livers, but living recklessly. St. Patrick's Day, reckless livers, y'all. Verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. The word hardening there comes from the Greek word that means something that is harder than marble. I don't know if you've ever been on a marble floor or walked in the marble palace downtown, the government building, but marble's pretty hard. And the Bible uses the word here, a hardness of hearts. The word is, is the word that means a stone that's harder than marble. And, and throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see that, that any time people's hearts are described as being hard, it's never a good thing. A hardness of heart means something that is not just a a cold person, but someone who has willing stubbornness. It's, it's an aggressive suppression of the truth. And Paul says here that those who are apart from God are characterized by hardness of heart. You see that God's people in the Old Testament, uh, if you read the book of Exodus, you see that God sets his people free. I mean, that they're in slavery in Egypt, and God comes down and says, I'm going to free you because I'm your God you are my people and I love you. And after he frees them, they journey for several decades as God is leading them to a land that he had promised them. And all the while, they're saying, we want to, we want to go back to Egypt. We'd rather be enslaved than out here. We would rather go back and worship those gods than worship this God. And they, they start being drawn away by other cultures and other idolatry, uh, other forms of idolatry. And God describes them as being a hard-hearted people, those who are willingly stubborn, who are aggressively suppressing the truth. These are people who saw God but said, we're going to suppress that truth because of our own wicked hearts. We see this again in the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, when Jesus is in a synagogue. It's a religious gathering, a time for teaching, and people are gathered around God's word to learn and to get to know God more. And as Jesus walks in, there's a man who's, whose hand is, is withered. He's, a, he's, he's crippled in his hand, and, and Jesus goes out and heals him, and people start debating on the appropriateness of this. And they're described as having hardened hearts. They're suppressing the truth that they're they're there to learn the scriptures. And as Jesus is doing this miraculous thing to point people to God and to restore this man personally, to be a sign of Christ's restoration of humanity, people are suppressing the truth, willingly stubborn, aggressively suppressing the truth. This is not mere ignorance, folks. This is callous, wicked character. And apart from God, this describes any of us. Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, ignorance is not something that just automatically happens. 
It is something that is fostered due to stubborn, willing, aggressive suppression of the truth. A pastor once said that the seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. And I think it's the truth. The seed of every sin known to man is in your heart, is in my heart. And we are no better off in our own devices, in our own culture, in our own uh, whims or our own education to think that we can be not ignorant, to think that we can soften our own hearts. Because friends, Scripture makes it clear through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in Ephesians 4 today that being alienated from God is characterized by having a hard heart, willing unbelief, willing suppression of the truth. He goes on to say they have dark minds in verse 17 and 18. Um, He talks about the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. See, the more that truth is suppressed, the less capable we are of understanding it. And that scares me. When we think about... uh, the small times in our lives that we are confronted with sin or idols and we know the truth and in those moments we say, I'm going to choose sin rather than the truth. I'm going to choose a lie rather than the truth. I'm going to choose an idol rather than Christ. And friends, in those moments our our hearts become harder and harder. And Paul equates the futility of the minds darkened in our understanding to something that progressively gets worse the more and more you push away the truth, the more and more you suppress the truth, the harder it will be for you to understand it. And and I see this and I have friends and family members who have one small step at a time walked away from the truth to now they just, they don't even know anything about the gospel because they're, willingly suppressing what they know and a point comes where you just, you just don't get it anymore. You, your brain is far from the Lord. A life characterized being apart from God is one characterized by reckless living. You know, it, Paul starts by saying, hey look, it's due to the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. I mean, I love how Paul just goes right to the heart, the mind, the character, the identity, those who find their lives elsewhere apart from God. And then he goes to the action. Reckless living in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. If you do research of the first century city of Ephesus, you will find that it was very characteristic of that part of the world, much like many parts of the Roman Empire of the day, that uh, people pursued sensuous living. They were gluttonous, drunkards, uh, sexual orgies were part of cultural practice and even religious worship in some uh, spiritual circles. And scripture tells us that life apart from God warps our minds, hardens our hearts, and will play out in, in reckless living, pursuing overindulgence and sensual practices and wanting more and more and more progressively ending in our ultimate death and destruction. This is the old life, right? I mean, this is life apart from Christ. 
Nowhere in here does Scripture say, now, do better and try harder. If you perform differently, you won't be like this. If you get a better education or make more money or move to a different neighborhood or uh, get in a different kind of relationship, then your life won't be going to destruction. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Scripture makes clear that apart from God, we find our identities elsewhere. In our money, our idols, our sin. It could be the mistakes of your past that you were defining your future by. And none of that is the gospel. So before we move on, as we look at life apart from God, being described by futile minds darkened by understanding, ignorance and hardness of heart, reckless living. If you're a Christian, does that describe your life before Christ? I mean, think about it. I don't want us to be overly guilted and remorseful for our past, but I just want us to look. If you're a Christian, I want you to look back and see where God has taken you from. And if you're a Christian, we are to move forward in Christ and not look back to that. If you're here today and this describes your life, if you're like, man, I don't know Jesus, uh, friends, we want you to know Jesus. We don't want you to walk in the futility of your mind uh, with a hardened heart toward reckless living. But see, here's the good news. Because that's just a couple verses, right? The old life characterized by hard hearts, dark minds, reckless living. But the good news is that in Christ we are changed. We are transformed. We are brought from dead li- deadness to life. We are brought from a hardened heart to a softened heart. We are brought from a life of progressive destruction to a life of progressive holiness. Because God takes dead things and makes them alive. He takes dirty things and makes them clean. He takes crooked things and makes them straight. He takes wicked things and makes them holy and beautiful. So look what Jesus does here. We look at the gospel against the backdrop of hardened hearts, darkened minds, reckless living, going to deadness. Look at the gospel. Verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I love that verse. That is not the way you learned Christ. Christ. Do you know this is the only phrase in the entire Bible that uses the word learn a person? He doesn't say this is what you learned about Christ. You learned about Jesus. You learned about Christianity. You learned about good moral living or good theology. You learned about a better way of life. Mm -mm. This is the only phrase in the entire Bible that says you learned a person. It's not the way you learned Christ. Can you wrap your head around that? I can't. I've been trying to all week. I'm just like, how do you learn a person? You see, I think in light of this gospel, the writer Paul is telling us here that this is not, you don't transform yourself from an old life to a new life by getting a better education or applying yourself better, or doing more push-ups, or just whatever. 
You see, Paul's saying, look, this isn't Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the promised king and rescuer of humanity is our only hope, our only salvation. That apart from God, whether you are a total sinful, wicked pagan, or that you are a good, religious, smart person, you were doomed for destruction. I mean, the hardness of hearts, the darkness of minds, the reckless living is characteristic of the Gentiles, the pagans, but that's characteristic of those who walk away after seeing the truth, just like the Old Testament Israel book of Exodus, just like the religious folks at the synagogue in Mark chapter 3 who see Jesus do a miracle and hear Jesus preach and, and Jesus opens the scriptures and says, this is all about me. And they say, we have hard hearts, callous, dark minds, and they walk away. See, our only hope is in Christ. And Paul says here, We're not to go back to feudal minds, darkened hearts, hardened hearts, callous, reckless living. This is not what we learned. This is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So you learn Christ. You learn a person. There's a a taking in of the gospel. There's a taking in of of a person, Jesus. Not just some new concept. Not some new moral code. Not some new theological idea, but a person who rescues you, who changes you, because he's good and he loves you. This Jesus, I mean, this this is what he says. This is not the way you learned Christ, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I mean, Jesus, the truth incarnate, who, who looks at you and says, man, apart from me, you're going to have a hard heart. You're going to have an ignorant, darkened mind. You're, you're going to live recklessly, sensuality, just greedy. Just think of the grossest thing in the world. I mean, that's what, that's what Paul's describing here. just like wicked, just that is sick. Hide the children. That's, life apart from God is just, ugh. But the truth in Jesus, when you, when you learn Christ, it, it is God looking at you and saying, that is you apart from me, but I love you anyway. I'm going to rescue you. You can't fix yourself. You you can't make your mind better. You can't soften your heart. You can't stop your life from being recklessly doomed for destruction. Only Christ can do that for you. I mean, God intervenes in our lives, stops us from going that route because apart from God, that's where we all go. No matter how religious and smart you are or how wicked you are, we are all doomed for destruction apart from God's intervention. We need Christ. That's why Paul says this is not the way you learned Christ. The truth in Jesus, nowhere else. Not in good ideas or philanthropy or a big vocabulary. Look what else he says here. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Ah, I love the gospel. Look what he says in, in verse 24. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Do you see that? Jesus takes us, he restores us back to how we were created to be. I mean, you look in the book of Genesis, God creates everything out of nothing, creates man and woman to reflect his image. We, We are image bearers. Genesis chapter 3, sin, rebellion enters the picture. 
we're still image bearers. We're just marred a little bit, right? It's like we're mirrors that have been cracked or smudged a little bit. We're still image bearers. We just can't piece the shards back together. And we see here that, that, that Paul is saying, look, when Jesus steps in the picture, he takes you from futile, dark minds, hard hearts, reckless living, and, and renews you in Christ. He does that as a person. The truth is in Jesus, nowhere else. You put on the new self created after the likeness of God, that, 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 that Jesus is restoring us back to be full, clear mirrors, clean, uncharted, sharded mirrors. Not a fractured reflection, but a true, clear reflection of the likeness of God. That's how we were created to be, in true righteousness and holiness. So can you, can you imagine, okay, imagine being in the first century saying, we are this cool, hip, righteous, holy church in Ephesus. We're not like those Gentiles living like that and drinking like that and doing those nasty, naked things over there. We're not like that. And Paul says, look, man, you can easily return to that way of life. I mean, alienated from God, that's where you go. In Christ, in Jesus, you're restored to the likeness of God. True righteousness and holiness. True righteousness means being, being right before God, right with each other. Paul emphasizes true righteousness in Christ. Not do better, try harder not learn more theology, not have a better, stricter moral code. It's not righteous. That's the outside facade that we always find ourselves in when we say, man, I'm really ashamed of the way my life looks right now, so let me do this facade. No, man, just, that's not true righteousness. That's false righteousness, right? And holiness. I mean, we could say, we're, look how we're, we're holy people. No, you're not. Let me just tell you, I want to be the first and loudest, most obnoxious person to say, I'm an idiot, I'm a fool. My life is a mess apart from Christ. I mean, I, if it wasn't for Je- I mean, I'm the, I hope you can say that. I mean, just, that's why I wanted you to think, like, what did your life look like before Jesus? If you're a Christian, just reflect back and be like, man, my life was a disaster. That's something to celebrate, I think. I mean, my life was an embarrassment apart from Christ because only Jesus can save this guy. I tried other ways. It's embarrassing. But God is so good. Right? The truth is in Jesus, you learn a person, God himself in Christ, restores us to the likeness of God so that we can reflect his image. True righteousness, true right relationship with God, true right relationship with each other does not come through good moral living, through good relationships or good educational pursuits or any of that, or good moral codes or good do this, don't do that. That does not restore relationship with God. That does not restore relationship with each other. Only Christ can restore relationship with God for us. Only Christ can restore relationships with each other. That's why we learn Christ. That's why we see the truth in Jesus. That's why Christ, who created us after the likeness of God and true righteousness and true holiness, restores us to that. You with me? Okay. I'm getting a little excited. Let's bring it back in. All right. Look what he says here in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That gives me great confidence. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit does many, many 
acts in Scripture. He inspires Scripture to be written. He gives us understanding as we read it. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit speaks through the prophets and the apostles. The the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us assurance that we belong to God. And so when you look in Scripture and, and, and Scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed, that means that by the Holy Spirit, God has impressed upon your heart his stamp of approval. You belong to God. You belong to God. You are not defined by the sin and brokenness of your past. You are not defined by the failures or triumphs of your current scenario. You are defined by God who looks at you and says, you belong to me. I'm going to stamp my seal of approval on you by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here, do not grieve that Holy Spirit I mean, I mean do, not, do not mourn the fact that you belong to Jesus. I mean, this is what he's saying here is like, we can say, man, I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I belong to God. That means I can't go to that party. I can't go party down with the Gentiles who are pursuing sensualities and greedy practices of every kind of impurity. That's what he's saying there. When you belong to Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, that doesn't define you anymore. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgive, forgave you. See, the gospel is that we are forgiven by God and Christ. And this good news prompts faith and ongoing relational trust in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living out this new identity and obedience together in the context of community. Are you with me? See, the old life, that's where we all are apart from God. We see God's intervention through Christ. There's a couple things we need to see about this new life, right? Old life, Christ, new life. As the old life is characterized by progressive destruction, the new life in Christ, because of what he's done for us, I mean, the fact that Christ forgives us, that we learn the truth in Jesus, that we are restored to the likeness of God and sealed by the Holy Spirit, the new identity we have, because of that, we're no longer defined by progressive destruction. We are defined by progressive holiness, or what we call sanctification. We are growing in maturity to mature manhood, Paul says in Ephesians 4, just prior to this, that we are growing to become more like Christ, together. In Christ, we are no longer defined by our mistakes, failures, or weaknesses. We have a new identity, a new heart, no longer a hardened heart, but a softened heart that's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have a new mind, a a mind that's no longer futile and ignorant and darkened, but a mind that by the Holy Spirit is is, uh, illumined to understand Scripture, a mind that is Godward in orientation. We're no longer defined by reckless living, pursuing sensuality and greedy impurities, but we're defined by actions and relationships that reflect the image of God who exists in Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives some instruction to us, to the church at Ephesus and for us today. In verse 22, he says, Put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Friends, put off your old self. Just put it off. It's like taking off a, a stinky suede jacket that you shouldn't wear because it's 70 degrees outside. Just take it off. Throw it away. 
Put off your old self. You are no longer defined by that. So don't do it. Don't do it, not so that God will love you and so that you are accepted, but because God loves you and because you are accepted. You with me? He says, put off your old self, put on your new self. Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's like having a, a suede jacket you got at, you know, a used yard sale and it has like chiggers in it or bugs or something. You just take it off, man. You don't want it. It's corrupt. It's dirty. You can't, can't wash it. It smells bad. It's from somebody's dorm. You're like, dude, I don't even know where this jacket Just take it off, you know? There's no hope for the jacket, so throw the jacket away before you start itching and get bites on you. You know what I'm talking about? Verse 24, put on the new self. So it's not just about putting off the old self and standing there like, I'm not wearing a jacket. You need a jacket, man. Just not that one. That's what Paul's saying. He's take, take off the old one, but don't just stand there in the cold, man. Put on the new one. Put on the nice, like, mountain hardware, Columbia, North Face, something. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The, the new self is what's been restored. It's the new identity Christ secures when he forgives you and seals you with the Holy Spirit. Put on that. And so often we take off the old self and say, man, I'm going to take off this old whatever. And you put on something else that's just as old and dirty and stinky. Don't do that. You can't just put off the old self just to put on a new nasty self. You got to put off the old self and put on the new self that is secured by God and Christ by the Holy Spirit, right? True righteousness, true holiness. It's a new identity we take on. Look at this. We have a new heart with new passions and new affections. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, right? It's okay to be angry. Today St. Patrick's Day. Go Irish. Irish people are angry. Reggie says it all the time. Pa- Pastor Reggie, he's like, he's like, I have two emotions, angry and asleep. So I don't even know where he is. Is he sleeping somewhere? Because he's not angry. He's in nursery. Let's hope he's not angry. Right? So be angry. Do not sin. It's, it's okay to be angry sometimes. It's okay to be angry circumstantially. It's okay to be angry at the injustices of the world. I mean, when you look at, when, when you hear the news about uh, you know, abuse or something, that should make you angry. And it's okay. Paul's saying here that a new heart is characterized by new emotions, a new way of relating to each other. So if you're angry with somebody else, you don't just camp out on it and say, dude, I'm angry and I ain't talking to you. He says, look, don't even let the sun go down in your anger. So if somebody in this room is mad at somebody else, you got a few hours to get it together. Let's say eight hours. If you're mad at me, give me a call. If I'm mad at you, let's talk about it. Because once it's dark, We've missed our opportunity, right? He says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Hmm. We could camp out on that phrase all day long, but we're going to move on. So you have a new identity because you take off the old self, you put on the new self. You have a new heart that's characterized by new passions, new affections. Um, You have a new mind. I love what he says here. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I mean, progressive destruction The old life of progressive destruction is characterized by getting darker and darker in your mind and thinking, just becoming more and more like debased and degenerate in your mind. But the new life is progressive sanctification, progressive holiness. You're becoming more and more like Christ. Your mind is being renewed daily. Uh, This comes about through so many ways, friends, but let me tell you, read the scriptures, talk about scripture, pray, like meet with people and, and read 
I mean, feed your mind good stuff, man. If it's not good for your mind, you just don't feed it in your brain, right? So scripture is key here. Pray, meditate on scripture, renew your mind. Verse 25, I like this. Um, Having put away falsehood, let no one speak. Excuse me, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So uh, like as your mind is renewed, you're feeding your mind good stuff so that you can speak the truth to one another. Like when you feed truth to your brain, it's not just for your own sake, but it's for the sake of other people, right? So there's this little song that my siblings used to sing all the time, but it it went something to the effect of what you let in will eventually come out, right? It's a good little five-year-old tune. I I don't remember how it goes, but I just remember that one little phrase when my little sister used to sing that all the time. Like what you let in will eventually come out. And so be sure that you are feeding renewing your minds daily so that uh, when you speak with one another, you will speak truth to one another so that we can build each other up, build yourself up, build one another up. Um, Talks about wholesome talk here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is a big one, right? Do you think about what you say? Do you think about what you're right? Do you think about what you tweet, what you put on Facebook, what you blog? Think about what you say to your spouse, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your co-students. Friends, words carry weight, which is why I think Paul, as he characterizes the new life in Christ, spends a lot of time talking about the truth that you renew your mind with is the truth that will come out of your mouth here. So the new life in Christ is a new identity characterized by a new heart, by a new mind, by new actions. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Do you do honest work? I hope so. Christians should be the hardest workers in the workplace. They should excel at everything they do to honor the Lord and to give testament to the truth of the gospel. To be honest and generous, that's what I love about it here. He's not just saying, hey, you should bust your tail so you can have a lot of cool stuff. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Ah, why? Here's why. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you know that when you go to work tomorrow, it's not just so you can pay your bills? I mean, that's part of it. God is providing life for you so that you can have it like, you can work, get a paycheck, and give food to your family, and buy the North Face jacket that you need. But also, so that you could be generous. There you go. So new actions. And finally, a new life in Christ is characterized by new relationships. I love this, verse 32. Our relationships, I mean, God renews your mind, he renews your heart, he renews your finances, he renews your motivations, he renews your emotions, and he renews our relationships together. Because Ephesians 4 is not just about one-on-one relationship with Jesus, it's about us with Jesus, us together. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. I'm just slightly convicted, okay? Just slightly. Because when I look at my life personally apart from Christ, before he saved me, I mean, even as a young kid, I was just going the way of destruction. And when I look at what Christ has done, it just wrecks me. 
to think that this holy, righteous God would save a reprobate little kid like me. And by God's grace, he's given me this opportunity of life with a wife and kids and in this, this wonderful church called Redemption. And that's why this church is named Redemption. We experience personal redemption in the context of a community together. So as we reflect on this as a time of response, I want to ask you a few things. First, first I would say that we need to repent of self-sufficiency and pride. Because when we look at our old life described here, it's very easy for us to say, my life doesn't look like that. I'm not feudal mind. I'm not ignorant. I'm not pursuing greedy sensuality. And we could very easily think in pride that we're, we're not that because of something we've done. So we need to repent of that. We need to humbly rely on Jesus who saves us. We also need, when we say repent, repent needs to change your mind. It means to be, to be transformed like in your mind and your way of thinking. So when I say repent, uh, we repent of self-sufficiency and pride. We also need to repent of despair and hopelessness. Because if you walk in this room and say, man, those first three verses describe me to a T. I mean, I, you could define yourself by your sin and wickedness and weakness, um, but in the gospel, you don't. So I'd ask you to repent of your hopelessness and despair and know that in Christ you were loved and accepted. In Christ you were forgiven. You were not defined by the sins of your past, whether that be something you've done or something that you've thought or some lifestyle or, or motivation you had, you're no longer defined by that. In Christ, you were forgiven, and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. He says, you are mine. It's because he loves you, and he's good. We need to believe the gospel, believe this good news, have ongoing relational trust, and live this out in the context of community together. You with me? Is that good? One last thing I would ask you to do before I pray. I'm going to pray this now, and I'm going to ask you to pray this ongoingly. Um, we desperately want Redemption Church to be characterized by this. When Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, that's why we named this church Redemption. We are hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit would be moving in this community for us to live out this new life for the glory of God, for our joy, and for the advancement of the good news. So Redemption Church is not just a, a name. It's, it's signifying this. And so uh, I want to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit that who, who has sealed you, um, pray that this Holy Spirit, that he would move in our midst, that we would be a culture saturated by grace receiving grace and giving grace to others. Is that a fair request? Okay, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for a few minutes to open your word. God, there's so much in Ephesians 4, uh, and I, I pray that as we have had just a 30,000-foot view, a, a, a taste of the gospel, uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed be stirring our hearts affection to you, our minds, attention, God, that you would be renewing our minds, regenerating our hearts, restoring our character, restoring our relationships. God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us that we are sealed, that we belong to you. 
that we are no longer defined by our past. We are no longer defined by our, our present triumphs or our failures or weaknesses. God, that we would not be defined by our own righteous pursuits, but God, that we would be defined by being humble recipients of your grace. And so God, I pray that you would renew us, restore us, our hearts, our minds, our our talk, our relationships, God, that we would love one another well, that we would serve one another well in such a way that would be so joyful. God, I, I pray for those of us who carry heavy baggage from our past, heavy burdens in our present. God, whether it be wrongs that have been done to us or wrongs that we have done to others, or wrongs that we have brought upon ourselves, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would release us, that you would free us, that forgiveness is a, is a free thing, that we are free in Christ. And God, I pray that you would renew us with great joy as a community together, experiencing personal redemption. God, I ask these things by your Holy Spirit, and thank you in Christ. Amen.